Howdy y'all, and welcome to the Great State of Innovation, the podcast of Texas Innovators with me, your host, Cole Carpenter, and I will be joined by my co-host, Judge Gwynn, where we will cover innovation happening in the ninth largest economy in the world, the Great State of Texas. This episode is brought to you by Integrity HR Management, the premier professional employer organization of Texas. Integrity HR Management makes modern-day HR simple for your business. Let the professionals remove your headaches and help you get back to doing things that matter. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to another episode of the Great State of Innovation, the podcast of Texas Innovators. It's me, Cole Carpenter, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Judge Gwen. And today, we have Jennifer Lehman with us to talk about her awesome organization, Mission Advancement. Thank you for joining us, Jennifer. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Cole? Doing very well. Doing very well. Thank you for uh, taking the time to come and uh, chat with us today about your what, what you all are doing in the nonprofit space. So um, yeah. would you uh, mind just taking a moment to kind of introduce yourself, give a little background on your career and also uh, your, your organization, Mission Advancement? Sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me and for the opportunity to um, talk more about Mission Advancement and, and what we do. Yeah, I'm a I'm a native Texan. I'm a, a North Dallas-based gal today that fell into this crazy kind of fundraising nonprofit world um, 25 years ago and um, kind of found a passion for working with organizational leaders and um, specifically in the area of, of fundraising, kind of found my, my lane and um, have been in this consulting space now for, for over 20 years and um, founded Mission Advancement 15 years ago with my husband, Skylar, who um, also met I met in this space and has done work for quite a long time with organizations of all types. And yeah, we kind of jumped off the cliff of entrepreneurship, as I describe it, in 2007 um, with this idea that we um, believe so passionately in um, around fundraising and how organizations can scale and how they can do really big transformative projects through a real focus on a, a relationship-based model or a people-centered fundraising approach. Um, and so we we started with just us and a couple of couple of friends. And today, 15 years later, we're almost 30 people strong, um, mostly in and around Texas, but also working in other parts of the country. Awesome. Well, that's awesome that you all have experienced such growth and that you all are doing what you're doing. Um, so what nonprofits exactly do you all serve across Texas and how does Mission Advancement further their, their missions? Yeah, so... I mean, we work with a variety of missions. Um, the way we kind of describe the majority of our client base would be the human service space, um, social service agencies of all types serving different communities. Um, we work a lot in education as well, and that could be um, an independent school, a, a college, that kind of market, and and lots of variety kind of within those two spaces. But but we've, you know, we have a, a resume of, of lots of, of organizations, including zoos and museums and things like that. But the majority of our work today is, is in those kind of categories of, of social service or human service um, and education. So 
Um, and you know, the way we help them is really walking alongside their leaders um, to develop fundraising strategies, growth plans, um, campaigns, different types that help them typically do one of two things. They're either doing something big and extraordinary, like building a new building or renovating a building. And it's a kind of a one-time event in the life of the organization. And they have to figure out how to come up with some extraordinary amount of money for that project. Or they're saying, we need to scale. We need to grow this mission, um, you know, two, three, four, 10 times the size we are today. And how do we do that in terms of revenue? And we walk alongside and create plans and strategies and do coaching and training um, around this philosophy that I, that I mentioned a second ago. And that's awesome. And, and as you said, you know, y'all serve a variety of, of nonprofits throughout the state. But looking kind of on the nonprofit side, Jennifer, um, you know, why would a nonprofit be drawn to work with the Mission Advancement? And, and kind of what does that client life cycle look like on average? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, because, you know, a lot of times we work, we'll come into an organization and and they, if they have a hard time asking for help. You know, why why should we bring in an outsider so I think like any kind of consulting space that sometimes um, letting somebody from the outside come come in and look can bring an objectivity um, to something that may be so familiar to a leader or a board even um, and a different way of looking at things. So I think the objectivity and certainly is one piece of it. The other side, I think, is just We've seen so many um, projects and organizations take so many paths and have learned um, that we can help organizations kind of uh, prevent those mistakes and save time and save money, quite frankly, um, by kind of breathing into the strategies and things that they may be um, putting together. So those are you know, a couple of reasons I think that, that it's valuable to have that outside voice. Um, the life cycle, you know, it kind of depends on the scope of the project. Those large capital and transformational projects, you know, are easily, a, you know, anywhere from a 12 to 36 month kind of partnership um, where we come in from day one and kind of write the playbook and, and teach and train and, and then walk all the way through execution of, of um, working with donors and funding Um could also be a, a six-month life cycle with an organization that says we need a growth plan, we need a strategic sort of development plan, we call it, um, that says how do we grow from a million to three million or five million to ten million um, operationally over the next few years, and, and we'll walk alongside it through a planning process. So could be anywhere from a, a brief kind of stint, um, six months or so, up to a multi-year engagement. That's awesome. So yeah, like more like a project initiative basis when they have a specific need that y'all can fill. Do you have any that, you know, kind of keep you, you know, for lack of a better word, on retainer, so to say? We do. Yeah. We have a handful of clients that we've been fortunate enough to become kind of a trusted advisor to on a regular basis. Um, we've got one in particular that I think it's been 12 years that we've been in a retainer relationship and have walked through multiple iterations of growth and planning and projects um, and we honestly become an extension of their team. So we do have a few organizations like that. I imagine. Yeah. And you work with so many transformational nonprofits, which we'll dive into as this episode goes on. But I imagine it's pretty easy once you've been there for about eight months, you can go, well, you know, I, I kind of believe in this mission, too. It's easier for you all to kind of step up. And as you're saying, be that extension of the organization. Um, yeah. 
and and you know you've been here for a long time. I think you mentioned you mentioned you've uh, started Mission Advancement 15 years ago. So kind of how has the nonprofit landscape changed since you started your career? Yeah, well, um, I started my career in the mid 90s, and at that time, you know, there was you know a very different landscape of how we did business for sure. I remember you know talking to my employer about whether we should have cell phones or not because that was you know, certainly a a new idea back then. Um, And we were all traveling. So, you know, a lot has changed in how we do business and how we work. Um, You know, certainly the online stuff has shifted how organizations work and function. Databases have become very sophisticated compared to the note cards that, quite frankly, um, we could raise money with, you know, 25 years ago or more. Um, so those things have certainly improved efficiency and process. I think it's also helped organizations tell their story better. Um, you know, if you don't have a decent website today telling your story, that can that can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they can reach more people more quickly. So giving days and text to give and online stuff, you know, certainly helps organizations reach more people more quickly. Um, however, at the same time, what I was taught in the early 90s about how, you know, large sums of money are raised and campaigns and transformative fundraising work really hasn't changed. Um, and the, those kind of core foundations of, of compelling story and passionate volunteers and, you know, prospects who believe in your mission, that still is at the heart of, of what we do today. And Despite the landscape of, of tools and resources we have, I think there's still a hunger and a need for people to connect um, very intentionally and very purposefully with, with those missions. Definitely. And, and, and as you said, like if you don't have a, a digital presence or a website of any kind of business, right, you, you're not going to succeed in today's world. And it yeah. almost seems like, as you've highlighted, Jennifer, there was a shift to go, well, everything needs to be visible and accessible online. And nowadays, as you're saying, we need to be like, well, that still needs to be accessible, you know, physically when you can see people in person, you know, as the pandemic has taught us anything. And to kind of piggyback off your answer there, Jennifer, how, would you say the needs have changed at all for nonprofits today? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly the nonprofit, you know, here here's one observation. We have a very unique culture in the United States around philanthropy, and I don't know that people really understand and appreciate that that the rest there is no other more generous nation in the world than the United States. And so that culture of philanthropy is is very unique to Americans. And I think as a result, there's there's always this popping up of, of new nonprofits because people see a need and they want to meet it. Um, and so, of course, you can look at the news every day and think about new causes and issues that are on people's minds. And those almost always end up in, in a nonprofit space somewhere. Um, and people give, you know, that's just kind of the, the culture that we've created here. Um, so, so I think the landscape in terms of missions and issues that nonprofits um, address changes constantly. And there's constantly um, a market, if you will, of philanthropists out there, whether it's small or large givers who are looking for things to support. You know, like an example of something that has shifted, I worked with an organization years ago that was an AIDS organization And they've actually rebranded and changed their mission because thankfully, you know, the epidemic at that time 
um, has really changed. And with medication and treatment and whatever, there's the needs that existed in the 80s and 90s just doesn't exist in the same way. And so some missions have had to pivot and and think differently about their who they serve and their populations. But um, but yeah, there, there's a constant changing of issues and needs, and the American people have just always been there to to meet it. Yeah, that's that's very very interesting. You know the the changes of, of needs over time. Um, speaking of another kind of big change we experienced uh, was the the pandemic. Um, did did you see a you know, a change in, in, in fundraising and, and the way people were, were reached, you know, donors from uh, nonprofits. And, and I assume you had to pivot. And what, what did that pivot look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, COVID was, a, you know, obviously has been and, and is a, a huge obstacle um, for many nonprofits. However, there was, I think, an enormous silver lining and the data philanthropy data very much supported what we expected to see, quite frankly. Um, you know, the last significant economic sort of crisis in 08, 09, um, we walked through that as an organization and understood some of the challenges people were facing in a very different way. But the reality is that philanthropy was alive and well um, and still is. The, the 2021 data is, is coming out in this month in June, um, but the 2020 data, when it came out, I think there was a lot of speculation about what the numbers were going to be and didn't surprise us at all that philanthropy was up, um, people were generous, and in most times of crisis, um, there, are, there are people who want to meet a need. And so what, particularly in the human service space, I would say, you know, there certainly are organizations like arts organizations that suffered more um, because they couldn't put on productions, you know, they couldn't fulfill sort of their basic tenets of their mission. But organizations who are serving communities and particularly meeting basic needs and um, needs that people saw as absolutely critical during a difficult time did exceptionally well. And um, I expect 2021 will yield a similar result. The biggest shift, you know, for our client base that that we see most frequently that I think was a great learning was that you don't have to have a gala in a golf tournament to raise money. Um, that was the biggest shift for kind of that mid-sized nonprofit group that depended on those large events. And um, what we know is that donors give to missions they care about. And they might go to the gala or the golf tournament as a way to support, but that's really not at the heart of their um, motivation. And so what we saw is organizations that reached out to donors that had phone calls and Zooms and all the things we could do um, typically did really well. And it uncovered for them that these, these relationships really were the key. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, that's awesome that we, you, that you've seen in you know, since 2008 and with the, the COVID pandemic that, uh, you know, people were still willing to give and still, uh, you know, fulfill those needs. And, you know, as we are, you know, kind of maybe facing the, the walls of another recession and do you, do y'all foresee some more issues with that? Or is this kind of like a, a new, do you see this as a new time for fundraising with, uh, with this impeding recession? Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that cause I was just, thinking about that this morning in preparation for another conversation. And 
I think this is going to be the new topic um, on everybody's minds. And, you know, so what I go back to is what does history tell us? What does data tell us? And again, data tells us that even in difficult times, people are generous. Um, how are they generous? How do you connect with them? I think that is what nonprofits need to be thinking about um, because it's going to be this kind of one-to-one -one conversation, relationship building that's going to yield um, the best results from people who have the heart, who have the, the pocketbook, you know, and, and have the connection. Um, so again, galas and events and things like that are, are great ways to meet people and make friends, but it's not the motivation for significant giving. And if nonprofits want to weather this recession, you know, whatever it looks like and however long it lasts, it's going to be through relationship building, um, and digging in with donors who are deeply connected and helping them understand what the needs are. So I'm optimistic. Um, because I believe history has told the story. Um, and you, all you have to do is look at the data and look at other times of recession or crisis um, that philanthropy has been probably the most stable revenue source for nonprofits. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you keep harping on this, um, you know, connection, which is very important engagement, whether whatever business you're in, whatever you're doing, engagement with your consumers or your donors or anyone is very important. And, uh, you know, I think the greatest medium or vessel for, for connection in these times was the internet, right? So, um, you know, at the beginning of your career, you were, uh, that's when the internet was starting out in many ways, right? So how, how did the, op you, and you briefly mentioned this and talked about it earlier, but how did the internet change the way y'all operate? And, you know, what kind of impacts do you think it had on nonprofits as a whole, as far as, you know, engaging donors? Do you think it opened yeah. floodgates? I, you know, I, that's a great, point. I, I do think it probably opened the floodgates for a lot of new nonprofits to pop up because it's not hard. You know, it's not hard to today to start a social media page or even throw up a website um, and get your, your name and your story out there. Um, and I don't know the stats on this today, but the number of nonprofits is staggering. Um, in Texas and, and throughout the United States. And most of them are teeny tiny, like teeny tiny, less than a $100,000 budget. So very few survive or certainly sustain and grow. Um, and I think the internet and technology has um, has helped that, has, has helped people just say, I believe in this cause, I'm gonna do the paperwork and throw up a website and, and let's see if we can get some support. So, so yeah, I think that the information, you know, age has, has shifted the landscape for what's possible. Um, I just think too many organizations lean too heavily on that as their primary or only source for communication. And that's why they stall. Um, it just, it, it can, it should be a tool and a great tool, but it has to be used as a strategy to, to, to get those true connections and, and to build relationships that have to go beyond that that electronic medium. Yeah, that's that's very, very interesting. And, and more a little more on that strategy. Do y'all and have y'all thought about, you know, as the, the topics of, you know, Web3 and NFTs and, you know, the metaverse and things like that, do y'all foresee y'all getting like or advising nonprofits to kind of get into the metaverse or like where they're meeting people in that digital way? Or you, is that something you shy away from? Do you think it's you know, too much uh, weight on that kind of internet connection like you were just talking to? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're getting above my pay grade. <laughs> um, you're using a bunch of words I don't even completely understand. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we're always trying to keep up and be able to, to speak into, you know, what's out there and the tools that nonprofits are using or want to use. Um, but I, you know, I think what we always want to teach is that, again, those tools and resources should be support systems for a multi-pronged strategy. And, and if that allows people to bring in more people and grow your pipeline, essentially, then absolutely. Like, let's double down. I mean, like direct mail is a dinosaur, right? I mean, and there are still people out there doing a lot of direct mail, which is fine. There is still a population that responds to that. But I do think probably in my lifetime <laughs> that we're going to see the direct mail businesses, they have to shift. Um, and so these new, you know, tools and resources are the direction we all have to pivot and embrace. But I still think, you know, in a relationship based business of any kind, you're going to have to still have the, the strategic kind of funnel of how do you, how you, you know, acquire new customers, how you build relationships with customers and how you retain customers. Um, and just like in a for-profit business, I think there has to be a both and. Jennifer, we, we talked about it a lot throughout this episode, but obviously fundraising is the lifeblood and is essential to the success of nonprofits. So, you know, is is that what Mission Advancement spends almost all of its time on, just straight fundraising efforts, or are there kind of those growth initiatives as we hinted at earlier as well? Yeah. So, I mean, everything we do is, is tailored to how an organization can grow. Um, so sometimes that's a direct project, you know, a fundraising campaign of some kind, Sometimes it's a planning process. It's really the, like, like I mentioned, the strategic development plan. Um, so it's not the strategic plan for how you're going to grow your mission. It's your strategic plan for how you're going to grow your funding um, and really looking at a three to five year roadmap. Sometimes it's just board training coming in and helping boards understand um, good practices, you know, in fundraising and development and kind of reinforcing some of the strategies that we implement with organizations. So it's usually with our eye on some kind of funding growth plan or campaign. Oh, that's very interesting. And as um, kind of the pivot to the next question, I, I like how you laid out kind of that Americans, we do have this kind of culture of philanthropy and it, it, it does seem normal to us, right? We go up, you know, give to others as you would want to get uh, receive, right? And um, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that, Jennifer, um, you know, kind of how individual philanthropy really is. Can you break down uh, philanthropy in the U.S., kind of how it is right now and, and some of the stats behind it? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, the the kind of data collection um, in our industry is an organization called Giving USA. It's data that's publicly available and is released every summer on the previous year's um, statistics. That's the largest. There's a few others, but that's kind of the largest um, and yeah, it's always, I think, a surprise to people um, who aren't in our space to know that 80% of philanthropy in this country comes from individuals. And that's broken down into just direct gifts um, from people, which is about 70%. And then about 10% comes from bequests, which are gifts made in somebody's estate or will. So those are individuals just given at time of their death. So about 80%, and that's pretty consistent. They've been tracking this data for 40 plus years. Um, and, and that's been a consistent trend. About 15% today comes from foundations, 
um, some private foundations, um, our community has them. There's a lot of individuals that now have foundations and that's been a growing segment um, of philanthropy. And then about 5% comes from corporations. And that's always, I think, the myth out there and even boards sometimes that I meet with are taken back by that statistic because there's kind of this general public, I think, um, assumption that corporations have all the money and give all the money. Um, and that's just not true. Um, corporations are in business to make money, not give money. And if they do give money, that's wonderful, but it's probably from marketing budgets and you know they're looking for ways to promote their products and services. So it really is individuals like you and me, quite frankly, that um, are the givers in this country and then this kind of growing foundation space. Now, Jennifer, I, I want to kind of look at like a case study here to kind of you know give an example. And I understand that in the North Texas Food Bank is one of your largest clients. And as in one in seven Texans experience, uh, experience food insecurity, what are some of the ways y'all are working to help them achieve their massive goals? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the food banks are a, um, a common but maybe not completely understood entity that exists in a lot of certainly metro areas. Um, and, you know, North Texas is one of the largest. I think Houston is, is a little bit larger, but certainly we're in that, you know, among the largest in Texas. And they serve a 13-county region um, for North Texas, which has a lot of rural areas, you know, Dallas and Fort Worth are, are certainly the biggest centers, but they serve a, a very wide geographic area and literally hundreds of food pantries. So that's really, you know, food banks are really resource centers for the human service nonprofit space. Um, and most of their food pantries that they supply and support are very small mom and pop, you know, volunteer driven kind of food pantries in, in rural and small communities, in addition to serving some of the larger food pantries you might think of in a metro area that maybe has a full suite of services. Um, so they're in a campaign today to raise $500 million over the next two to three years um, to really take care of this food insecurity problem, to equip these partner agencies um, to be healthy, to thrive, to increase their the in-kind food support that um, they provide, again, in this region, which is substantial um, through grocery partners and manufacturers and things like that with kind of their size and scope and buying power, if you will. Um, so, it's, so it's a, you know, what we call a comprehensive campaign that's multi-pronged, but it's, it's to grow their operational funding model to support more food pantries, to bring more in-kind partners into the program and also to grow some endowment funding um, for long-term sustainability. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, thank you for that insight and kind of uh, breaking down what that looks like for, for them because I, and a lot of people you know, really wouldn't even think about how you know, such an essential nonprofit works or is able to, to reach people and what they need as, a, as a, an organization. So that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but in other news, um, Y'all just acquired Mission Allies, a comp comprehensive grant writing service. So how does this ac um, acquisition further your reach and mission? Yeah. Yeah, this is exciting. I mean, um, you know, we're, this is the first acquisition we've made as a, as a company. And um, we identified Mission Allies about 18 months ago, really kind of during early COVID. 
um, providing a service here in North Texas that we saw as valuable. And that was really counseling and coaching organizations in this specifically in this foundation grant writing space. So I mentioned the stats earlier about individuals versus foundations versus corporate. Um, and our work really focuses on individual donors um, with some dabbling kind of in the foundation and corporate space as well, but, but really um, how organizations can go deeper with individuals. And what we observed with Mission Allies and the work they were doing with organizations that were very similar to our clients and even some overlap um, was that they were kind of teaching and preaching this same relational philosophy within the grant writing space, which is a little unique and um, was very attractive because we believe foundations should be treated like individuals. Um, at the end of the day, it is individuals. They're just sitting around a table, probably making a decision in a group format. Um, but if you don't build relationships with decision makers, you're just an application in a stack of maybe a hundred other applications and too many people approach grant writing with that, you know, what we kind of refer to as the spray and pray idea. And they just, you know, if we submit a hundred applications, hopefully we'll get a 10% return where we are very much believers in let's strategically um, build um, a, a, a model around growing our grant revenue um, through strategic relationships with foundation leaders um, who buy into our mission and become long-term supporters. So we got to know them and did some partnering together and decided um, that we wanted to come together and become one entity. So we're super excited to add not only their experts to our team, but to be able to enhance our services with our with our mission advancement clients and to to do more with the Mission Allies clients. So I kind of jokingly say we were focused on 80% of, of the donor base. Now we're focused on 95%. So hopefully that'll be a great value add to the organizations we work with in Texas, but all over the country. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I think, you know, grant writing is a very interesting you know, thing. And I don't think people usually realize how, you know, in depth your reports have to be in your applications and things like that. We had a um, TJ Falhoun on one of our early episodes, and he uh, received a grant, a couple million dollars to further his research, um, doing biomedical research. So it's just really, we got insight from him and it's just such an interesting process. And I love that y'all, you know, I kind of expanded to, to capture that market. It's, it's very awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, oops, sorry, Jennifer, go ahead. No, I, you're, I was just going to echo what Cole said. I mean, you just, you got to do it well. I mean, it's a competitive space. It's a growing space and, and yeah, there's, there's nuances to it that, you know, I think we're going to be able to help organizations do better, like the reporting, which can be a, a major headache for organization leaders. Um, so if you can outsource that and let experts take on that piece of it and get it off of your plate as an organization leader, then our theory is that it opens up bandwidth to do more important, more valuable um, things with individuals. And that's the, that's the value proposition that we're trying to bring. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I feel like a lot of these nonprofits, you know, as, as you probably see there, they are up against limitations, right. And, and resource limitations. So just having a place to start is probably helps them immensely, especially in the grant writing aspect. And I think, yeah. as you said, that's kind of unique that y'all covered the 80%. Now you can kind of cover the other 15 and make it to 95. That's awesome. That's right. Yeah. So, well, uh, that's all we have today, Jennifer. Anything you'd like to add before we stop recording? Anything about mission advancement or, or maybe let the, the audience know where they can find you? 
Yeah, well, you know, missionadvancement.com. So very simply, um, that's the place to find us. And, you know, we've got, as I mentioned, folks all over Texas. I think I said that. We have staff based in Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and we're just super passionate about helping our, those communities in particular and um, in this human service and education space, kind of helping organizations scale. And um, if, if somebody's got a project, you know, coming up or wants to learn more, we'd love to set up a time to visit. Yeah. Awesome, Jennifer. Is there, are there any initiatives y'all are working on that people could support? Um, you feel free to plug them here. Yeah. Well, you know, every one of our organizations, our clients, you know, is a worthy mission. So, um, <laughs> you know, they're, depending on where you live, there, there's a number. If you're in San Antonio, we're working with the, the zoo there, which is a really fun project. And they've got a really cool um, capital campaign underway. Um, in the Dallas area, we're doing some work with Dallas Baptist University um, for a new college of business, which is a really exciting initiative. And I, you mentioned the food bank, um, Mobile Loaves and Fishes in Austin is a, a former client, but a multi-time client. And they do amazing work in the homeless space in Austin. So I'd highly recommend that that people um, look into some of those. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Jennifer. This has been very insightful and uh, you know, a great insight and, and look into the nonprofit space. Uh, something you know, people you know, are usually are willing to give, but not usually willing to take the time to kind of fully understand. And, um, and I think you provide a great insight. So thank you so much for that. We, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Download the Texas Innovators app on the App Store and Google Play. Like and follow the TXI Facebook page linked in the description to keep up with innovation happening in the great state of Texas. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, innovation never sleeps.